Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to the J.P. Morgan Healthcare Conference. My name is Kyle. I'm on the healthcare technology and distribution team here at JPM. We're thrilled to have Veridime with us today, uh, presenting as CEO Rick Poulton. And with that, I'll give him the floor. Thank you. <clears throat> okay. Good afternoon, everybody. Thanks, Kyle. Uh, we appreciate you uh, taking a few minutes out of the rain to uh, listen to us today. Um, I want to just do a quick uh, few slides and uh, make sure everybody knows uh, who we are. We've been through a name change recently. Uh, we were formerly Allscripts Healthcare Solutions. Uh, the change in names was uh, really a capstone on a lot of corporate activity that's happened over the last couple of years. So we've changed our portfolio a lot. We've changed our focus a lot. And uh, we've changed our financials a lot with that. And so I want to make sure everybody understands um, who we are. And so let me start with that. Um, we really um, we really think of ourselves as pursuing a mission of uh, trying to transform health insightfully. That's where our tagline is now. And uh, we're doing that through what we refer to as a three-sided network, a strong network of healthcare providers. These would be uh, independent physician groups. And that is the foundation for uh, an, a business that we've built now around both payer clients as well as biopharma and life science clients as well. So that three-sided network, payer, provider, life science, is um, something that uh, we think makes a lot of sense. Uh, I'll talk a little bit more of that, talk a lot more about that in a little bit. But um, our real differentiators, you know, a lot of people talk about these three constituents in healthcare. Our differentiators are our scale and our connectivity um, to, those, to each of these uh, three different uh, subgroups. To start, our, the foundation of our business is really built on a strong provider footprint. <clears throat> and um, what we provide or what we're offering to the providers to secure that relationship is a number of clinical tools. So we have two different EHR platforms. We have a number of revenue cycle related tools, uh, pr practice management system and revenue uh, cycle billing services, patient engagement tools that cover the spectrum of everything from portal and healthcare records, personal healthcare record up through uh, telehealth and uh, scheduling as well. And then uh, what we also refer to as an enterprise platform. So we have big lab connectivity and we have APIs that we publish that lots of um, partners can plug into. That collective uh, pool of assets uh, spans across all of our provider clients and gives us two really critical uh, assets for us that we then are bringing to the payer and life science markets. Those two assets are, number one, the clinical and financial data records, so a lo long longitudinal record of data. And uh, secondly is that uh, uh, access or workflow uh, point of care ownership that we have. So we basically are that last mile of connectivity to the point of care. And that's a very valuable asset that uh, we bring to these uh, other parties, and I'll talk more about that. The way to think about our uh, provider base, then, is that it's really the core of a larger network of healthcare providers. And so we think of it, or we try to illustrate it with these concentric circles. So we start in the beginning with our EHR clients. Then we wrap around uh, more provider relationships through tools such as our e-prescribing platforms. Uh, we've purchased some uh, proprietary data registries as well. That's given us more representation across these healthcare providers. And then finally, we have uh, some, a number of IT partners. Some of them you might even think of as our competitors at some level, but they've joined forces with us to help us. Uh, we help monetize their 
again, data as well as their uh, work, workflow assets as well. So all total, about 330,000 healthcare providers that represent over 180 million uh, unique patients. And so that sets us up for really what we think of as our value creation formula. Um, we have um, this scale that comes from these provider relationships. And when we wrap that with our analytics platforms, our analytics tools that we've built out over time, and this connectivity that we represent, it gives us uh, a unique ability to drive efficiencies for payer clients, for payer clients and life science companies who have a hard time intersecting with the point of care. It allows us to help build awareness at the point of care, usually for the physicians, but also could be for patients as well. And it all, and absolutely enhances decision-making at the point of care. So we can, in very real-time, uh, help close gaps in care and do other things that uh, make that point-of-care uh, efficiencies. So that's the provider platform, again, the foundation of our business. <clears throat> so then as we extend that into the payer markets, um, we really we, we see ourselves as uh, offering payers a couple of key solutions. But the... Um, the real scale that I want to point out here is that we have roughly about 100 health plan clients, and those 100 health plan cl clients now we're connecting, and those 100 health plan clients, excuse me, uh, cover about 30 million lives across the U.S., and we're connecting them to 275,000 providers in our network today. So it's not all of the provider relationships. We'll work, we'll work to build that out uh, even all the way up to our 330,000, but a good chunk of them are now connected to these health plan clients. And so we're helping them um, cover across both MA plans, managed Medicaid plans, and ACA plans. And you can see with some of the logos on the page here that we're uh, doing business with some of the larger names, but also a bunch of small regional health plans as well. And what we're offering them is really an end-to-end -end solution suite that they can start out uh, with any or all of these solutions that we're offering them. At the bottom is really data organization and data exchange. So that's a kind of a primary uh, opportunity that these payers have to interact with us. But then we move up the chain to risk quality and analytics, um, provider engagement. So, so again, messaging to providers in the workflow. And so that we call that activation and then all the way up through submissions to help the payers get paid um, through these plans. So we're um, we're happy, you know, particularly in the MA plans. So this suite or, or spectrum of solutions can be uh, used either wholly by some of our clients or partially by the clients. So they can pick and choose what they want to do that today. We have very few that are offering are using all four elements of this. And so we have a lot of white space to grow into with those client relationships that we have today. <clears throat> On the life sciences side, um, what we're doing really, again, is we have um, data that we're getting both from our uh, registry information as well as the, the clinical data that we capture from our provider clients. And uh, we're offering that um, as really one of the key assets that um, life science companies are looking for. We can do that either directly through them or through some marketplace intermediaries who will combine that with other data sets as well. And so the data is one uh, key value stream. The other key value stream is uh, what we call digital health, and this is like media-type uh, advertising um, inside the workflow as well. That media business is quite large. Uh, over the last uh, decade or so, we've done about 20 billion ad impressions. We've been doing it for over a decade and run uh, quite a number of campaigns on behalf of our uh, biopharma clients. 
So again, this is a little snapshot of who we are and what we're doing today. When then we think about, well, what are we going to, where are we going from here? How do we grow going forward? We're really um, a beneficiary of the large uh, move in, in healthcare today uh, towards value-based care. So as we continue to move down the path of value-based care, that's really conveyed, um, creating a convergence effect where, the, where there's a need to bring these different silos in healthcare together better. So providers, payers, life science companies, and frankly, even the patients as well. And so that, that macro trend benefits us well because we sit in the hub or sit in the center of all of those uh, different parties. That's giving us an, an opportunity to um, <clears throat> forge a tighter and tighter relationship as they, again, need to create more efficient ways to communicate with each other. When we think of our competitive advantages and our opportunities, why we can win in this, with this opportunity, it really, it's, you know, really starts on the left and the right of this page. We have, um, we have some patented risk adjustment and uh, intervention tools that we're using today. This is very important for our payer clients. We have the ability to provide bi-directional clinical and financial data exchange. Uh, again, very important to pr pr uh, principally our payer clients today. Uh, on the right side of the page, uh, for life sciences clients, we have a very scalable access and ability to create real-world uh, evidence for our clients, direct connection to the point of care, and the ability, again, to build significant awareness in the point of care as well, which really drives our digital media business, digital health business. And we do that with modern tech, uh, secure, reliable cloud uh, computing, and very easy-to-use tools for our provider clients, trying to create a very sticky relationship with them. When we think about the markets we're participating in, our payer markets today, um, uh, in the low, this graph is illustrating that, you know, today our really TAM is, a, is about a roughly $3 billion a year market, but it's growing at 20% annual. Uh, but as we build out our capability set and the path that we're on to build out our capability set, it's going to expose us to a much larger TAM going forward. Um, and so we have... Um, we think we have, are set up well to capture a larger and larger piece of business uh, from this market today. And on the uh, data side, um, you know, again, the push towards real-world evidence, we have one of the largest de-identified EHR data sets uh, that certainly that we're aware of in the market today. Uh, it comes from both our EHR, uh, our EHR tools but also our partner tools as well. And um, that gives us the opportunity to continue to grow uh, with the life science companies. So if I pivot a little bit now to our financials, um, I want to start by just talking revenue. Our revenue growth in 2022 is accelerating from 2021. These are, uh, this is across the entirety of the company. The provider side of the business growing certainly a lot slower than the parent life science side, but you can see that that revenue growth is accelerating uh, through the year. And we just uh, issued guidance. I'll talk about specific numbers in a second, but we issued guidance today uh, for 2023. That is really consistent with these growth rates as well. On the margin side, uh, what these graphs are illustrating is our trailing 12-month margins over the last uh, several quarters. And you can see they're uh, accelerating as well. So we've moved gross margins up uh, a little over 350 basis points over the last, uh, <clears throat> what's really about two years now. And uh, on the right side is our adjusted EBITDA margins, which are now approaching uh, 30% on a trailing 12-month basis as well. Those expanding margins have uh, allowed us to produce much, much, much more 
uh, impressive free cash flow. Um, so what we're illustrating here is uh, trailing 12-month uh, cash flow conversion, free cash flow conversion off the business. And so through the third quarter of 2022, uh, we had uh, 17% of our revenue dollars were converting to free cash flow. We'll be uh, reporting our year-end numbers uh, end of February, but uh, those are the results to date. And so this improved cash flow performance has been on top of uh, what is we've put, uh, really created a very strong balance sheet foundation. So on the right is our cash position uh, as of the end of the third quarter. And you can see gross cash of about $500 million. Uh, we have $200 million of face value debt. So net cash, just a little under $300 million. And uh, that cash uh, from the balance sheet, along with the free cash flow we've been generating, has allowed us over the last couple of years to dramatically reduce uh, the numbers of shares outstanding that we have. So uh, that's, again, those figures on the left of the slide are um, the last bar chart is as of September 30th last year. Um, we released, uh, had a press release earlier this week talking about some of our buyback behavior in the fourth quarter of last year where we uh, used another 50 million, a little over $50 million of cash for share repurchases. So that number has shrunk as of year end. Um, and so that brought us then to today's announcement. We provided guidance today uh, and also announced the new share buyback program. So uh, a year ago, we put in place a $250 million repurchase program. We used up almost all of that during 2022. Um, and so our board has reauthorized the new $250 million uh, program that um, just was put in place this week. So we have that um, fresh ammo, if you will, to, uh, for, the, for this year. And um, we put out our revenue and EPS guidance for the year as well. So we're expecting uh, revenue range 640 to $660 million in 2023, earnings per share 90 cents to a dollar. Uh, obviously, we haven't reported year-end results yet, but um, midpoint of those ranges represent, you know, roughly 5-ish percent on the top line uh, and about 15 percent growth on the EPS line. So that's our guidance for the year. And... Um, we uh, hope that that's helpful in understanding who we are a little bit. So I now wanted to just open it up to any questions uh, you guys might have. Hi. Can you provide a little more context on the breakout of your revenue and the growth drivers? Like how big is the provider business versus the life sciences business? And how are they growing relative to each other? Yeah, so uh, when, you, when you break down our comp company revenue um, right now, about 80% of our revenue comes from our uh, healthcare provider relationships, and 20% comes from our payer and life science relationships. Um, and, uh, that, and, and so you can easily do the math on, on that uh, relative to our overall revenue. Our growth rate in 2022 uh, we had signaled to uh, we had provided when we provided guidance earlier in 2022, we told everybody to assume that our provider revenue would grow three to four percent last year in 2022 and that the pair and life science revenue would grow somewhere between 20 and 25 percent. So we haven't obviously reported the end results yet, but um, through the third quarter, we were reaffirming that, that, that guidance through the year. I got one right. 
Um, thanks for the presentation. I guess, how do you think about the cash balance overall? It's, it's obviously a very good position to be in, and maybe there's opportunities that you're looking at, but it's just any kind of um, thoughts you have around the cash balance um, and, and things you might be pursuing? Yeah, well, let's start by uh, saying the obvious. I, you know, we feel very uh, fortunate to be in the position we're in, given the macro environment that's, uh, in, that's going on right now. Um, and, uh, you know, cash, of course, is king. So uh, it's nice to be sitting on what we're sitting on. Uh, you can see by our behavior, what I've shared so far, we've been, um, I, think it's, I think it's fair to say we've been aggressive about share repurchases over the last uh, two to three years. And um, we're set up to continue that aggressiveness if we want to, uh, with the new authorization that we have. Um, we're interested in growing the business, and we're interested in, um, you know, continuing to see opportunities. If there are opportunities to add to our portfolio with things that make sense, we'll entertain it. But we're not um, – right now, we're, we feel really good about coming back from where we were. If you looked at this company four years ago, we were, had probably three turns of debt on the company, maybe even a little over three turns of debt on it. Uh, and we weren't growing the top line, and margins weren't expanding, and we weren't generating any free cash flow. And so where we are today with the free cash flow generation, the margin expansion, and, uh, you know, what is a very powerful balance sheet from my perspective, it's, uh, it's nice to have a lot of choices. So, but we're going to protect that. We're not going to let that go uh, too quickly. Um, so don't look for us to do any kind of blockbuster transaction. But um, we'll look for some bolt-on opportunities, particularly if the market um, is presenting some, you know, better pricing than we've seen in the past. Yeah, just to follow up question, thank you for the presentation. Um, with the amount of cash you have, how do you prioritize just your thinking process between stock repurchase versus investing organically in the company versus M&A? You mentioned M&A in yeah. your last statement. Yeah, well, we're, you know, in, uh, inside our results, inside our guidance, um, is all of our R&D spending today. So we invest a lot in our solutions today. Um, we're investing about... 20 cents of every revenue dollar into our solutions today. So that level of R&D investment is um, pretty high. It be as high as you'd see amongst any of our uh, traditional competitors. Uh, so we feel good about that level of investment today. Um, we'll continue to tweak it as we see fit. But that's, um, you know, that's already, that's already kind of captured in the free cash flow that's coming out of the business already. So after that, um, you know, we, we have all the traditional opportunities. You know, we can, we can look to acquire assets. We can look to return cash to shareholders. We can look to pay down debt. But you can see our debt is pretty low right now. We've, um, the debt we have is, you know, sub 1% coupon on it. So we're actually, you know, frankly, we're making an, an arbitrage on that right now we're <clears throat> by investing that cash. Uh, so we're in no rush to get rid of that. Um, so it really comes down to if we see some good opportunities to uh, add to our portfolio, we'll, we'll consider them, and we have done some small things. Uh, but that's partly why we've been aggressive about uh, shrinking the capital base and uh, returning cash to shareholders. Anything? <clears throat> Anybody else with some questions? Thanks. Um, I'll leave the finance stuff to 
those folks. Um, could you expand a little bit on uh, uh, the uh, real-time or real-world uh, data flows uh, from the patients into the electronic health records uh, from external parties? Like, are you talking um, from the practitioners, or are you looking at, like, wearables and these other sorts of things to uh, provide a more total picture of whole-person care? Yeah. Um, thanks for that question, and actually, you just reminded me, I, I, uh, I was remiss. I didn't introduce my two colleagues up here. So um, uh, to my immediate left, uh, Leah Jones is our chief financial officer, and uh, next to Leah is Tom Lang, and our president and uh, chief commercial officer. And uh, Tom, uh, why, don't you, uh, why don't you share your thoughts on that? So I just want to make sure, can you reiterate the question, where are the data flows coming from, and what are the different sources of the data flows from a yeah, the, obviously you have data flow coming from practitioners and facilities. I'm talking more about real-world data flow from the patient itself into their electronic health record. Right. So most of the data that we're actually aggregating into our data warehouse is coming directly from the provider, uh, not directly from the patient. We do have some unique patient assets in our Follow My Health asset, which is our personal health record. Uh, we're not monetizing that data, even though we have some, some rights to that data but most of the data is actually coming straight from the provider based on the, based on the data rights that we have and the consents. Yeah. Are, are you looking at expanding in, in to incorporate real-world data from the patient? We are. We're, okay. we're actively looking at other ways to incorporate that data from the patient and other sources of that data. Yeah. Perfect. Thanks. <clears throat> Don't be shy. Anybody else? Well, we've had, uh, you know, we've had a busy week of announcements. It actually reminds me of the question earlier about cash. You know, we announced an investment we made uh, earlier this week um, in, a, in a company called Hallmusk. Uh, we put some money to work there because of a commercial relationship we had. That's an effort to build out, to your question, our data sets and data opportunities there specifically cultivating data around uh, behavioral health and mental illness. And um, we think that could be a great augmentation as we think out longer term about uh, appending that to the pure, uh, you know, the clinical data we're capturing today in the EHR. As you know, most of that's, you know, in unstructured notes and things like that. So, um, but we're investing for the future in investments like that as well. And um, we think we have a long road to go down this path, both with biopharma as well as um, payers. So um, it's, an, it's a unique story, we think, relative to uh, old traditional EHR companies, and we're glad to be capitalizing on it. And um, I think our results speak for themselves. So uh, for any of you who are not very familiar with us, I encourage you to um, look a little closer. And uh, um, we're, don't be shy. We're happy to uh, answer any and all questions. Okay. So I don't, any last, no other last questions? So if I don't see any last questions, I guess we'll wrap it up. So thanks for joining us today. We appreciate it and um, hope to talk to you soon.